Well, by now you've noticed that I'm not Tom. And uh, every once in a while, the elders really want to take a step of faith. They really want to put their trust in Christ. And so they asked me to come and fill in. Um, and so uh, thanks to them for allowing me to come and just to share a little bit out of God's word with you guys today, this morning. Um, you know, as Brad was praying, I was sitting there thinking about the sacrifice that, was, that has been given, the many lives that have been given for us to have what we have today. And I was thinking about, as he said, how can we honor them? I think today what we're about to talk about is a great way to honor them or join them in sacrifice. And you'll see what I'm going to be talking about here in just a minute. But before we do, um, I wanted to give you a heads up. I wanted to, it's kind of always good for, as, as you students know, to have a heads up on a test that's coming. And so I'm going to present to you some things out of Scripture about the topic of hospitality. And there's going to be, well, not a test. I don't want to scare you. But there's going to be an opportunity to practice what we're going to be talking about in this room at the end when we get finished. So you guys ready? So hopefully that's going to be like, oh, man, I better pay attention, right? Okay, here we go. All right. Um, would you pray with me just again really, really briefly? Dear Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one teaching here. God, that it would be your word, that my flesh would decrease as your spirit increases, and that, that Holy Spirit, you would help us all to learn a little bit more about you um, and about what you would have us do, God, in light of your gospel. Would you help us be the church that we, are, we should be because of you? Uh, Lord, we need so much help in that. Um, we need your strength. We need your words. And so we pray for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's, let's hit the ground running. We're going to talk about, so, so Pastor Tom opened up last week with the one another's. And this summer we're going to be going through as the church the one another's um, throughout Scripture. I think I counted there's about 59 is, is what I've seen of one another's in the New Testament challenges for the church to live out the gospel with one another. And one of those, and one of my favorites that I'm still learning about is hospitality. You'll see this topic this word hospitality throughout the entirety of Scripture many, many times. And so let's start by defining what hospitality is, and then we'll unpack some, some specific principles of hospitality that Scripture show us. So let's define hospitality. We define hospitality by saying that it's showing generosity or having a welcoming attitude towards guests. The root of the word hospitality as I think Thomas shared already with you, is that it is the love of strangers. The love of strangers. Today we're really going to talk about it in terms of opening up your life and your home and your things and your family to others. Opening up. And my... Uh, just, just real quick, the idea of hospitality, I think, in the church today is 
untapped the potential that we have because of this gift, this challenge that Jesus gave us called hospitality. I think it's really untapped. It has the potential to absolutely shift and change our entire culture. It's more powerful than legislation. I think it's more powerful than opinion. It's more powerful than social media. I think hospitality has the power to get the gospel into this culture and absolutely shift what people think about this world and about Jesus Christ and about themselves. I believe that hospitality is what Christ gave us as the means to spread his gospel and to change this world. And so I think it's a really underappreciated, underutilized tool of the church. And so to quote the mighty theologian Gandalf, <laughs> some believe it is only the gr only great power that can hold evil in check. But that is not what I have found. I have found that it is the small, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. I think that if the church practices the small habit of hospitality, that the gospel can absolutely change this nation and this world if we begin to learn how to open up our lives, open up our homes to others. This is a picture of my front yard. It's a little hectic. It is often like this. In fact, this is a clean day. This is my front yard. Um, and it is typically because of my little daughter, Evie. And every morning she wakes up, it's like she, she's already thought about all of the friends that she wants to call over to our house. And so before mom and dad can even like get up out of bed, she bolts down the stairs, goes out to see who, out, who else is outside and playing because she wants to invite them over to our front yard to begin playing because we've got toys, we've got pools, we've got ice cream. She's instantly awake and ready to invite people. And so mom and dad are like trying to wipe her eyes and get up because we heard the front door open. We know Evie's obviously already out there inviting. So we go down and by the time we get down, typically this is what our yard already looks like. And there's already about 10 kids out there in our neighborhood that are playing around. My daughter gets it. She, she learns that from my wife. My son and I, however, both actually kind of struggle. Hospitality doesn't come as naturally to my son and I. And when we encounter good things in our life, we kind of want to keep them to ourselves. And so when we taste really good things, we want to wrap that puppy up so we can have it tomorrow. My, my, my daughter and my wife, when they have good things, they want to share all the good things with everybody. It's communal. It's an experience that they want to share with everybody. My daughter and my wife get it. My son and I are learning about how to open up our lives and to enjoy good things with the people around us, particularly in the name of Christ. My mentor used to say, um, he used to talk about hospitality like this. He said, you know, Shane, I always put my grill during the summertime. I put my grill instead of having, I have this beautiful back porch, great backyard. That's all well and good. But I, I grill out in my front, like on the sidewalk in my front. You know why I do that? I said, why on earth do you do that? That sounds weird. He says, you know what? So that my neighbors can see me. And so they know that I always have an extra piece of, of meat, chicken, barbecue that is on the grill for them so that they can come over and eat. He says, I live the front porch lifestyle because I want to welcome people into my life and in my home. I was like, oh, man, that sounds pretty intentional. 
My wife and I, we've tried to live by that. Over the past eight years, when we came to Sheridan about eight years ago to establish the, the college ministry at Sheridan College, um, we've been here at the church for four years, but eight years ago, we established a Sunday night dinner for students. And for eight years, my wife and I, every Sunday, have had anywhere from one to 45 college students in our home every Sunday night. And it is a rule that we try to always have students in our home continually. With that has been many challenges over eight years, as you can imagine. We have had, over the years, hundreds of different students in our home. We've got to laugh, we've got to cry with many students in our, and we, they've gotten to see us with our kids. They've got to see us, <laughs> they've got to see us as, as people without kids. And then they've got to see the transition of people with kids. They've got to see us in our marriage and how a healthy marriage functions. Well, most of the time, they get to see us fight when we disagree, and so they get to see how a Christian couple disagrees in marriage. We invite them into our lives so our students can see the grit, even our messy homes sometimes. We've invited them into our house every season. During pregnancy, when Becky was pregnant with the twins, we had, kids in, we had students in our home. When I was working full-time at NSI and was absolutely stressed out, we had kids in our home. When we were exhausted, we had students in our home. When the kids were learning to walk, many of our students were there. Because we want to be people that practice hospitality, and here's why. Our best example of the hospitality that God challenges us in Scripture is in the gospel. There is no greater hospitality than that which God showed us through Jesus Christ. He offered us through faith the keys to his home, to the kingdom of heaven. He gave us the key to his home. What greater hospitality is that than he offered us fellowship with God? That is amazing hospitality. He gave us the keys. So we want to coin the phrase today, hospitality is giving over the keys to our home, to our life, to our resources, to our things, and to our relationships. Jesus gave us his key to the kingdom of heaven, which is his home. The gospel is, is our greatest example of hospitality. And a lot of times I'd like to think about it through terms of what scripture uses the term adoption. That God adopted us as sons and daughters of God. You guys heard that? That through what Jesus did allowed us to become children of God. And we have, we have this beautiful picture of what adoption is. But I think oftentimes we like to think of ourselves as, as the cute kid in the, in the adoption process, don't we? And a lot of times when we think about adoption, we think, oh, it's going to be beautiful. But many adoptive parents will tell you, it's worth it, but it's hard. It's very hard. Adoption is a hard process. It's hard on the kiddo, hard on the parents. It's not an easy process. But man, what greater example, humanly speaking, is there then of adoption than bringing a child into your home? But I would, I would say that the Bible tells us that the gospel's version of adoption, if we were to put it in terms of today, for you and I to understand the gravity of the hospitality that God showed us, would be if I were to stand up here and tell you, that, and this sounds awful, don't worry, this didn't happen, but if I were to stand up and, and, and tell you that a man had murdered both of my kids, 
and he's a member of ISIS, and I stood before you and I said, I have chosen to adopt him and bring him into my home, and he's now living with us. You guys would say, you are insane! What is wrong with you? That would be bonkers. But ladies and gentlemen, that's what Jesus did. That's, that's what God did for us. We were invited into his home, though we were enemies of him because of our sin. We were a part of the murder of his son. And yet he welcomed us in. What greater hospitality is that? Our greatest example of hospitality is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that in the passage. Um, well, let me, let me read Romans 5, 7. Well, Romans 5 says, While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He opened up heaven to us. So let's, let's dive in now to our passage, 1 Peter 4, 9. 1 Peter 4, 9. And let's read this out loud. Would you read with me? This is the word of God. Let's open our hearts and our minds to what God wants to tell us this morning. Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's unpack the context. This is 1 Peter. This, the book that this is written in is 1 Peter. And so Peter's writing this to the provinces of Asia. And to get a grasp of the absolute craziness of what Peter is asking them to do here, the context for the church is in about four years' time, Peter's trying to prepare them for some of the most severe persecution that the church has ever experienced in history. It's when Nero blames the Christians in Rome for a fire, and now persecution begins to befall the church. Deep persecution. And so Peter here is warning, he's prepping the church to prepare for such persecution. And this is crazy. So what Peter is asking them to do is that in the face of, they're going to be seeing their Christian brothers, their sisters, their family members, their friends, possibly die for being a Christian, be killed for being a Christian, even saying they love Jesus. And so here Peter is saying, even though that is going on, I want you to open up your homes, open up your lives. I want you to share your life in hospitality with strangers and with brothers and sisters in Christ. What? Most of us would say, if people are coming at me, the defensive wall is coming up, man. How could I present myself open? How could I be more vulnerable in a time uh, where I'm being persecuted more? I think most of us would have that opinion, wouldn't we? We would say it would be the wise thing to close your doors to make sure that people don't come in. But Peter's doing the exact opposite. This is about as crazy as calmly reading a newspaper that's on fire. What Peter's asking them to do is to be vulnerable in a time of incredible persecution. So let's unpack 
this idea of intense love for each other. How is it that we could, uh, you kind of lose me at intense love. We're all human beings, aren't we? Would you guys agree that we struggle with loving one another on a daily basis? It's kind of the human condition, right? So Peter, what Peter's asking for an intense love of one another is impossible, is impossible unless we understand the secret about how Christians can view hospitality and why we can love each other intensely. And it, it happens, how we can open up our, our homes always. And it, the secret is in John 17, 23. It's a, it's a principle that's all throughout the scriptures. This is the high priestly prayer. So this is, this is Jesus praying for the church. In fact, he's praying specifically not just for the disciples, but he distinguishes those to come who would place their faith in Jesus Christ. This is a prayer that he prays for us to the Father. And he says in verse 23, I, that's Jesus, am in them, believers, and you, Father, are in me. May they be made completely one. So the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And so the secret to being able to love intensely is that we view one another not figuratively, but literally the person of Christ. Because the principle in Scripture is this, that Christ is in us when we place our faith in Jesus. Christ is in us and we are in Christ. And so the idea here is that when you open your life up to the church, when you open your life up to other believers, you're not just receiving some people, but you are literally receiving the body of Christ. From the perspective of Jesus, and as we continue to unpack this, he's going to show us that we are to treat one another as if they're literally Jesus, because in the mind of God, they are literally Jesus. When you open your homes... I hear this all the time. We want to keep Jesus in our home from parents. We say, we want to keep Jesus in our home, so we keep people out of our home. Scripturally, that doesn't make sense. We open our home to invite Christ into our home. Because scripturally, if we look at what the Bible tells us, when you receive another believer into your home, you're literally, not figuratively, literally receiving Christ himself. And that is how, man, what greater motivation is there than wanting to, let's look at, uh, uh, we'll, talk, we'll call it a hospitality case study. A hospitality case study. A woman who treats Jesus with incredible hospitality. And then let's look at this through the lens of this is what we are to do with other believers. And it starts in Matthew 26, 8 through 13. Let me read this for you. We'll call this a case study of what hospitality looks like because this was the hospitality that Jesus recognized towards him. Verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon, a man who had a serious skin disease. A woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always... You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. 
By pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she has prepared me for burial. I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And so this woman, she poured out this incredibly expensive perfume over Christ. And I think Christ recognized her kindness so much so that he wanted her to be remembered, remembered forever. As Why? Because of her kindness towards him. Her heart towards Jesus himself. Now let's rewind that back. She poured out an expensive perfume. She... I've heard a lot of different ideas about the expense of what this perfume. Some people say it was many months worth a wage. Some people have said it's years worth of wage. Whatever it was, the disciples knew that it was extremely expensive because they were freaked out. They're like, what are you doing? This is too expensive to just pour on Jesus' feet. We could help so many people with that. But Jesus said, no, she's pouring it out on my feet. She's pouring it out on me. And so for us as a case study, we look at hospitality, it is to kill, I, I like the phrase, kill the fatted calf for the people that come in our home. We want to lavish upon others. We want to give to others the best. We want to share the good things in our life with others, not just ourselves. I, I, I like this. My, my father-in-law, uh, we were in Casper a while ago, and he said, Shane, I bought a, uh, a whole beef whole beef. Oh, man. He's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go downstairs. I want you to open the freezer, and I want you to take half that beef. And I want you to take it home, and I don't want you to cook it for your family. I want you to cook it for those poor, broke college students that probably never get steak. <laughs> and so I've been on this cooking spree. I, I don't see my college students here. They're still sleeping in, but they'll be at the second service. But many of them, I've been just flipping steaks for them as much as possible. These big T-bone steaks, they come to my house, they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know, this is steak that I want. <laughs> right, but I'm cooking it for them, and it's just this cool experience of sharing lavish things on the people that come. We want to pull out the best for people that we, we bring into our lives. And here, Jesus tells us, you will not solve world hunger. We know the poor will always be with us until Jesus comes back. See, social justice isn't going to fix the world. We know that. It's not going to fix the sin and problem. But you can certainly serve Jesus by welcoming believers into your life and into your home as Jesus himself. We have to love these people the same way we would love Christ physically into our home. Um, how many of you have seen, there's an older movie, it's called Risen. Seen the movie Risen? In the movie Risen, there's this beautiful moment where the main character gets to sit down with Jesus. And it, it's night, and Jesus begins to talk to him, and Jesus lays his hand on, on uh, the, the main character. And while I'm watching this movie in the theaters, I look over, and my wife is weeping. She was just crying. I was like, honey, what's up? Like, they're just talking. What are you doing? She said, I just want so badly for Jesus to touch me physically to, so that I could know him physically, so I could be around with him. That just touched her. It, it, and it, it kind of blew my mind. It, just this idea got me thinking about how would we respond to Jesus physically? If we were with him, if we were walking with him, how would we respond to him? What would we do if we had him over for coffee? 
What kind of conversations would we have with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior? This precious idea of being physically, oh man, I can't wait for that day that I get to be in his presence, his physical presence. But until that time, Jesus says that you can experience the physical presence of Christ by offering and opening up your life and your home through hospitality. That we get that taste of the of the, the presence of Christ by inviting one another into our homes. You can experience the physical presence of Christ into your home. So let's keep looking at verse 9 here. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Now, I think it's funny that Peter has to throw in the caveat without complaining. Why do you suppose that is? Because it's hard work. When you invite people over, it's going to be a mess. There's going to be cleanup. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to put you out. Oftentimes, hosting, I'll say particularly college students and high school students, I love you guys, but you're terrible at picking up after yourselves. I know because I've done it. Right? Adults, you're bad too. It's a thankless job to host people, but we still choose to do it. I look at this passage in Luke 14, 12. What an encouragement it is to not seek earthly reward. Because if we're looking for earthly reward, we're just going to complain about hospitality. He says, verse 12, he also said, this is Jesus to the one who had invited him. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brother, your relatives, or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That is from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't invite people for the purpose of getting repaid. Expect to pay out. Because this is the contrast between rewards now. If we seek rewards now, we're going to have everything that, that that's all we have is just the response we get from people. But if we are looking for the heavenly reward, if we are looking towards praising our Lord and our Savior Jesus, then our reward will be in heaven. And I guarantee that's going to be a much better reward than what we will receive in praise from men. <clears throat> Some, uh, Hebrews tells us that some have entertained angels and don't even know it. He reminds us that rewards are in heaven because hosting is hard and it costs us. Hopefully it doesn't cost us this much. Anybody have those people over? Maybe it's just me and the college students. I don't know. Right? This is worst case scenario. But it does. It costs us. And there's a reason why, again, I think Jesus tells us that we need to engage in hospitality is because Hospitality is a test that puts our things on the altar. Anything or resource that we have, it lays it on the altar and it says this has to be less important than God. This is something I'm going to offer to God, not make a God. And so hospitality should cost us greatly because it costs Jesus greatly. It cost him his very life. And I, I think here when Peter starts, be sober-minded, be serious, a lot of your translations say... Be intentional in prayer. That's the reason that intentionality is going to be so important as we begin to talk about hospitality. We have to choose to do it. It's not going to passively just happen. Like, oop, I hosted a bunch of people at my house. 
right? That, that doesn't just happen. As I, as I told you, we have to choose. We have to make a plan. So for many of you, I would challenge you as we talk about hospitality believers, here's a good little tidbit I learned is, is budget. Put it in your budget to be hospitable. You're like, what? I'm like, so those of you high school students, and where, where are my, my graduates? A budget is important. Find out what it is. A budget is extremely important. If you're an adult here, find out what, I do this in premarital counseling all the time, but find out, find, make your budget based on what you make so that you can iron out and give out as much as you can and still live on the rest. That's what believers do. We, we want to be good managers. See, it says, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. God has given us an immense amount. The other thing this passage shows us is it assumes that God is the owner of everything given to us. It's not ours. We are just managers of the very grace of God. It doesn't belong to us. So why on earth would we ever want to be selfish with what is not ours but our master's? It is King Jesus's, and so we want to pour that out on his people, on him. The other thing that hospitality does is it's a flesh killer. There's this principle within scripture that you and I have, to have we have our flesh nature, and we have our, we call it human nature, our sin nature, and then we have what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, and that's, the Holy Spirit is working on making us more and more like Christ every day. That's called sanctification. Well, a, a beautiful flesh killer or sanctifying thing that we can engage in, engage in is hospitality. It kills our flesh. It puts our self, it, it wages war on our selfishness, doesn't it? When we have people in our home, it wages war on our selfishness. It puts it down. If you have to sacrifice your wants to entertain others, then you understand the riches of Christ. You know that it is worth it to pour out, to sacrifice your wants, to sacrifice your entertainment, to sacrifice your things for others. It kills your flesh. Nothing points out our flesh like serving others at a cost. In fact, it's uncomfortable to have people that aren't like us in our home, isn't it? Over the eight years that Becky and I have been hosting people in our home, we've had all kinds of different folks. We've had Brazilians. We've had Japanese. We've had Koreans. We've had Muslims. We've had same-sex attracted folks. We've had drug addicts. We've had porn addicts. We've had alcoholics. We've had cutters. We've had the wealthy. We've had the poor. We've had the pregnant, the unexpectedly pregnant. We've had the mourning in our home. And it's uncomfortable sometimes. And I think that's why Jesus asks us to do it. Because it kills our flesh. And it's also a way to be free from the love of money. You know, you got to practice not loving money. And hospitality is a good killer of that love of money when you have to pour out money and see sometimes your thing's broken because you're hosting people into your life. This is a discipline that is practiced. We break our addiction to money by allowing people into our life. And then the other thing is that it is a gospel elevator. What does that mean? It's a gospel elevator. We have the task as believers of showing this world the true value of our Savior and our salvation. 
And we have the task of showing the, the value and what, how valuable it is to us. And if we hold our things closely and if we say these things are more precious to me and I don't want you to have access to them, I don't want to open my home to you because I'm afraid of what you'll do to my stuff. What are you saying? I'm saying my stuff and my life is more priceless and more important than inviting Jesus Christ himself through the believers into my home. And so what does that do to the gospel? It tells the whole world that your things are more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God's people start to value Christ and his gospel above all else, I believe that we will show the world by inviting people into our lives and into our homes. We see this contrasted in the, the parable where Jesus talks about the treasure in a field. The guy sells everything. Jesus tells a story about a guy who sells everything when he finds a treasure in a field, and he goes and he buys that field. It means that he literally sold everything to buy that field. The same, the expectation, and he says, this is the, the kingdom of heaven is like this that is superiorly valuable than anything that you can lay hold, of, lay hold on. Well, let's contrast that then to later on, Jesus encounters the, uh, the rich young ruler, a young man who held tightly his things. And the reason that he couldn't follow Jesus was because Jesus asked him to go and sell everything and follow him. And he couldn't. He left weeping. He left sad. Because he couldn't let go of the things. See, hospitality allows us to let go of the things that we hold so closely that are not Christ so that we can cling then to Christ. It is a hard thing. And I want to leave you with this. Hospitality is an evil overcomer. If you see verse 11, if anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. And if anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides. When God's people get behind true and well-motivated hospitality, I believe that the strength of God can absolutely change and shift this entire culture. It can overcome the evil in our society. And we see verses like, Romans 12, 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. <clears throat> you see this principle all over the past, all over the scriptures. Your best way to defeat evil Guys, please hear me. If you're Republican, if you're Democrat, if your hope is in legislation, I hate to break it to you, legislation's not going to fix the problem. A new bill, a new law is not going to fix the problem. It's not going to be protesting. It's not going to fix the problem, young people. It's not going to fix the problem. It's not politics. It's not even social justice. We know the poor will always be with us, and we know that there will always be sin nature. It's, it, I believe that the power is in God's people and hospitality that can shift this entire culture can change the worldview of our nation back towards Christ. You want to do something about things like school shootings, antisocial generation that can't see beyond their screen, against the suicide, against evil legislation, against gender confusion, se sexual debauchery, then stop talking about it on things like social media. Stop talking about it, your friends, and open up your home. That is where hospitality has its greatest power. Guys, we have so many different opinions about people that we've never had at our dinner table. 
And here's what I find, that if you host them at your dinner table, your opinion changes very quickly when your heart begins to break for them. When they're at your dinner table and you're talking to them, they become a person. Hospitality is our secret weapon that has the potential to absolutely swing this entire society. I, I shared with you this passage. I'm going to skip ahead because we're just running a little, a little later in time. But within 300 years, <clears throat> the early church happened. Within 300 years, the believers, in light of persecution, even though they were being persecuted harshly, they were seeing each other killed for the person and work of Jesus Christ, they did this thing called hospitality. And the whole Roman Empire under Constantine became a Christian nation. Now, that created problem, problems of its own. But do you see the power of what hospitality did to the whole Roman Empire? I want to leave you. So the purpose we do hospitality is so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. The reason we engage in hospitality is because of Christ. There's nothing more clear than this passage of scripture from Jesus himself. Please listen to this. If you listen to nothing <laughs> from me today, please listen to the words of Christ himself. In Matthew 25, he says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed, my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. <clears throat> then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison or and visit you and the king will say i will tell you the truth when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you were doing it to me receiving people in your home is receiving jesus in your home that's how jesus defined it we continue on. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I, was for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. And I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And so, taking a a little note from Tom's book is, so what? So what does this mean? But I'm going to put a Shane spin on it. <clears throat> My goal today is not to tell you to be more hospitable or try to be more hospitable, but if you currently have no apparent hospitality in your life, 
or at least the very desire for hospitality, then I want to call you to a true, genuine salvation in Christ. Because I believe that if you understand the true gospel, the gospel that saves, the hospitality of Jesus, then I think you could do nothing, no matter what your, no matter what your status is, you could do nothing but open up your home and your life so that people can see and encounter Christ Jesus himself. A salvation that produces in you hospitality. I think as James would say, I would, I would go back to the book of James, faith without hospitality is no faith at all. This true, genuine faith produces the fruit of love. Would you trust Christ by letting imperfect, harmful, evil sinners and brothers into your home and into your life, no matter the cost, simply because Jesus did the same for you and for me, simply because it is opening up your life to our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ himself is to welcome those people into your home. And so I want to give you... I'm going to give you, I was going to give you five minutes. Here's the challenge. Here's what I want to end with. Before you get up, before I give you the the go ahead to leave here, I want you to turn. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Would you turn and would you make plans with a stranger in this room for some time in the next two to three weeks that you would invite somebody into your home that's in this room? Let's start safe. Would you make plans with them? Date, time, who's bringing what? Can you guys do that? I do this to my college students and they all panic. They lose it when I do this. And now here's the thing. Instantly, many of you, your flesh is screaming right now like my college students are. Your flesh is coming up with every excuse why not to do this. I'm too busy, Shane. I don't have enough good food. I'm not a good cook. My house isn't clean. It isn't big enough. I'm not a good... I, I, I put I'm not a good cook in twice because I'm not a good cook. <clears throat> I'm introverted. That's a big excuse a lot of times. I'm not good with people. I want to encourage you. Tell your flesh to shut up because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. He's more important than baseball. He's more important than the job. He's more important than video games. He's more important than the latest TV show. He's more important than even your vacation this summer. How you treat God's people is how you treat Jesus himself. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray, God, would you begin to help us practice hospitality like we, are, like we believe in your gospel. And if there's somebody here that just thinks what I'm talking about is absolutely insane, Lord, I pray that you would show and reveal yourself and the insanity of your gospel to them. The fact that you would give us the keys to the kingdom of heaven is unbelievable, but you did it because you love us. Would you, because of that love that you have for us, would you help us to love others by opening up our life and our homes and our resources, and our hearts, and our joys, and our sadness to other people. Starting in the church and moving to this world, Lord, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.